Good morning. My name is Dave Furman. I serve as the senior pastor here at Redeemer Church of Dubai. If this is your first time with us, welcome. We're glad you're here. We hope that you continue to join us in the coming weeks. If you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Proverbs. It's in the middle of the Old Testament after the book of Psalms. It was written mostly by King Solomon. It's a part of the wisdom literature in the Bible, along with Job and Song of Solomon, Psalms, and Ecclesiastes. It's thought that originally Proverbs was used as a training manual for young men about life. It's addressed to the simple one, the naive. And the goal is to help him be wise. Over and over again in the book, you'll see that wisdom is depicted as a woman. One of the reasons for this is that wisdom is not really an issue of mastering rules, but one to lovingly pursue. And while it's written to a man, it doesn't take much to understand that these words in Proverbs and the whole Bible, for that matter, is written to both men and women. You may remember a few years ago, I took us through a few themes in Proverbs. We looked at words, wisdom, and friendship. Well, this year, for the next two weeks, we'll stop and look at this book full of wisdom on the areas of lust, and then next week, laziness. We'll do it thematically. Apart from Proverbs chapters 1 through 9 and perhaps chapter 31, the book is not meant to be taught or preached chronologically, verse after verse after verse, but looking at what the whole book has to say about any given topic. So as I said, this week's topic or theme is lust. This week's theme is not an easy one to talk about. The word lust means a desire that's out of order. It's a desire that's gotten out of control. Most notably in Proverbs, it refers to sexual lust. It's a sexual desire that's out of line with what God wants for us out of line from what God has planned for us. It's a weighty subject matter. Joshua Harris, an author and pastor, illustrates lust like this. Picture your life like a room. Beautiful hardwood floors are swept clean. Sunlight streams through the windows. Photos of family and friends hang brilliantly on the walls. The furniture is arranged just like you want it. The room is peaceful. It's just right. But in a corner hidden by the shadows, in a tiny crack under two floorboards, is a small, ugly weed. It's just sprouted up. It's small. It's easy to hide. You can cover it up with a rug or a chair. You can ignore it, downplay its significance. There's so many other good and beautiful things to enjoy in the room of your life. But the weed grows and grows. Its thorny, twisted vines steadily spread across the floor, climb the walls. They wrap themselves around tables and chairs. They even grow over the windows, blocking out the sunlight. Pretty soon, no part of your room is untouched. Everywhere you turn, the weed has invaded and it is choking out life. You feel like a prisoner. The weed of sexual lust starts small, but it grows large. It's a silent but deadly killer. 
Well, friends, maybe you're here this morning and you're engrossed in lust. It's given way to an addiction to pornography. You're just consumed with thinking about sex all the time. Some of you may feel guilty for something you did back when you were 18 years old. Maybe it's something you did this past week. Maybe you're married to someone who's addicted. Or could it be that you're the one luring others into sin? Others of you have been abused, victims of another person's lust. All of us have friends who have been affected. Lust is a sin that affects us all. And today we'll look at what Proverbs has to say about it. First, we'll see three things about lust. And then we'll shift gears and see three things about love. And we'll see how love is actually the answer to lust. Well, the first thing we see about lust. Lust is deceitful. Lust makes promises that it can't keep. It says things like, I'll make you happy. You'll never get caught. Nobody's getting hurt. But lust lies. It's like someone taking rat poison, covering it in chocolate, and then giving it to you for dessert. It's pleasing to the eye. Maybe you see it over there on the counter during dinner and you're looking forward to eating some of it. But after you bite into it, there's only a fleeting momentary pleasure until you come to your senses and realize that you're poisoning yourself. Lust lures you in. Look at Proverbs chapter 5, verse 3. And we're going to jump around so we'll have these all on the screens this morning. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Lust looks good. Lips dripping honey, smooth speech. She looks really, really good. But there's more to it. Look down at verse 4. In the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Now, wormwood is a woody plant with a bitter taste. The object and desires of your lust is chocolate-covered rat poison. It's not what it seems. Chapter 6, verse 26. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. The words prostitute and married women, there seem to be parallel in this verse as you look at it. You think you're getting sex, the sex you want for a measly offering, but for that small payment, she's stealing away your life. There's no intimacy It's counterfeit, fake. It's a mousetrap baited with cheese and you're the mouse. It's the fly on a hook and you're the fish. The cheese looks awfully good, the fly looks tasty, but a fish who is hooked gets fried for dinner. A mouse that's trapped gets exterminated. Not only is lust a desire that's out of control, it's desiring pleasure without any kind of promise. It tells you, oh, lust is no big deal. A little sinful fantasizing won't hurt anyone. It's my body, I can do what I want to. Looking at a few pictures won't really affect me. God doesn't really care. I'm just enjoying beauty. 
Friends, your flesh is lying to you. Keith Lambert, in his excellent book, Finally Free, Fighting for Purity with the Power of Grace, says this. This is the vicious cycle of lust. Lust never has what it wants because it never has enough. Lust steals joy by creating an endless state of discontentment in the constant search for that one next thing you don't have yet. Lust is never happy because lust is never full. It deceives you because you think it's going to fulfill you, but it's like pouring water into a funnel. It goes right through and it never fills your heart. That's why you go back thinking that this time it'll actually fill your heart, but it's never enough. Now, one look at a person or a photograph doesn't finally make us happy. We always want more. Another look, another glimpse, another moment. Friends, are you believing the empty promises of lust? Do you yearn for explicit pictures, stories, or romance novels? Do you watch pornography? Do you stay up late when your spouse is asleep staring at your computer screen? Do you surf web pages or read books to satisfy your sinful desires? Friend, stop, repent, and turn to God. Lust lies. Lust is deceitful. But not only that, number two, lust is dangerous. It lies to you, but it's dangerous. The second thing we'll see is that lust leads you into incredible danger. Look at Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? You can't play with fire and not expect it to burn you. Proverbs 6, verses 32 through 33. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. The text couldn't be any clearer. It destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away. Destruction, dishonor, disgrace. These are wounds that are not easily erased. Lust leads to adultery. Actually, according to Jesus, lust is adultery. You heard the words that that earlier were read to us on the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus. Craig read these words. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. To lust is to play with fire. It's so dangerous it leads to death. Look at Proverbs 2, 18 and 19. For her house sinks down to death. And her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. In chapter 9, verses 17 and 18. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. The sexually explicit lyrics you listen to, the romance novels, the books you read, and the images you look at, 
All of these carve pathways in your brain so that you can't forget them. When you engage in them, the chemical dopamine is released in your brain and it forms a distinct memory. It creates a growing desire for what you just experienced. You want it again and again and again. That's why it's so difficult to forget these things. And yet at the same time, you can't remember your friend's flat number where you just went the week prior. Lust also creates a connection between you and the character you're reading about or the person on the screen you're looking at. These things are branded on your heart and so you develop feelings and affection for them. It's also so dangerous because it sets up a fantasy world that's impossible to attain. The sex scenes in movies aren't real. They're not. Most of the time, they're literally not real. They're just acting. It's a fictional story. No, marriage is not like the movies. Love is not like the young adult fiction novels. When you train your mind to think that it is... It creates this fantasy that your spouse present or your spouse in the future will ultimately fail. It gives them a standard they were never meant to be held up to. And movies give you a false standard of what someone is supposed to look like. No one wakes up in the morning with their hair done and makeup on. It just doesn't happen. Lust turns your heart inward on itself. Your love is selfish. You believe the lie that you exist for yourself, and so does everyone else. The world exists to fulfill your sexual desires. It's all about your wants, your needs, your desires. It becomes all about you. Television actor Terry Crews, in confessing his past addiction to pornography, wrote these words on CNN.com yesterday. I don't know if he's a Christian, but he says this. Lust and pornography changes the way you think about people. People become objects. People become body parts. They become things to be used rather than people to be loved. In pornography, you make people your objects to give you what you want whenever you want it. You're trained, you're being trained to live for the dopamine rush in your brain. No, lust is dangerous because adultery in the heart is always the first step to adultery in the flesh. I meet with a group of guys on Saturday mornings. There's six of us. We gather for breakfast to read books together. We study the Bible together. We share our sin and our struggles. We pray for one another, keep each other accountable. One of the guys taught a a, a devotional on adultery about a month ago. And he said this, adultery starts in the head before it gets to the bed. Isn't that true? You start thinking about it, entertaining it. It starts in the theater of your mind. It moves to the recesses of your heart and then outwardly to your actions. Often it's first an emotional affair. It's just a friend. Just a text message. Just a little flirting. Nothing really bad going on here. But then it goes on from there. Eventually those thoughts and temptations give way to acting out those desires. 
And you go where you may not have thought you'd ever go. And we see in Proverbs, this adulterous woman is luring this simple man in, slowly but surely. She even gets her house all decorated nice. She gets perfume and scents all set up. She chases after him. She speaks nice words to him. She follows him around. And then in Proverbs chapter 7, verse 18, she says to the simple man, Oh, come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. She promises love. She promises delight. She promises fulfillment. She promises filling. She promises joy. But it's really an invitation to die. Look down at verses 21 and following. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. She convinces him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. He's hooked. All at once, he follows her. But look at where he follows her too. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Lust is dangerous because it leads to your death. Just for a minute, I want to speak to the youth and teenagers who are here. I know many of you looked at this topic and jumpstart at 9 a.m. You look through some of these Proverbs. Many of you have been talking about such things in the Regeneration Youth Group. I just want to tell you, if you were at your school one day and you saw someone waving a gun, threatening to shoot everyone, you would duck. You would duck for cover. You would run. You would hide. Well, I want you to know, you may not think explicit pictures and stories are dangerous, but young friend, I'm telling you, run from them. Run and run fast. Don't text suggestive pictures to each other. Don't look at them if someone does. Don't save them on your phones. Run away. Youth, run away and save your life now. Don't stay on a highway that is heading straight for your grave. If you're struggling, talk to your parents. Talk to Pastor Jason. Talk to Corsair. Get help now. It's because lust is deceitful. It lies to you. It promises happiness, but it's dangerous and leads to your death. But a third thing, lust is also destructive. That's the third point about lust. Lust is destructive. We saw in this previous verses, all at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Her feet go down to death. Friend, as you follow that adulteress, you're going down to the slaughter. In your lust, you will die. But the disturbing part is you're not, not going alone when you do that. You're taking someone else with you. You're destroying the person you're sinning with. You're going to the slaughterhouse together. And not only that, it will destroy your spouse if you're married. And if you have kids, don't think that they'll escape the effects of your sin. 
Friend, if you're married, your body is not your own. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. If you're married and you're committing adultery, you're breaking the oneness that God has created. Now, lust might feel distant, that it's just between you and a screen, or you and your thoughts, or you and a book, a a painless fantasy. No real people here, right? Wrong. It's absolutely wrong. There's a woman who responded to an article that blogger and author Tim Challies wrote on the subject of pornography a while back. She shared a poem with him um, that she wrote in the midst of her husband's addiction. I've edited some graphic content out, but I still think it makes the point. It's a poem that I come back to often to remind myself of the, the pain that lustful addiction brings to those around me. It's called, I looked for love in your eyes. She writes, I saved my best for you. Other girls may have given themselves away, but I believed in the dream. A husband, a wife united as one forever. Nervous first time needing assurance of your love. I looked for it in your eyes, mere inches from mine. But what I saw made my soul run and hide. Gone was a tenderness I'd come to know. I saw a stranger, cold and hard, distant, evil, revolting. I looked for love in your eyes and my soul wept. Who am I that you cannot make love to me? Why do I feel as if I'm not even here? I don't matter. I'm a prop in a filthy play, not an object of tender devotion. Where are you? Years pass, but the hardness in your eyes does not. You think I'm cold, but how can I warm to eyes that are making hate to someone else instead of making love to me? I know where you are. I've seen the pictures. I know now what it takes to turn you on. Women, people like me, tortured, humiliated, hated, used, discarded, images burned into your brain. How could you think they would not show in your eyes? Did you ever imagine the first time you picked up a dirty picture that you were dooming all intimacy between us? Shipwrecking your marriage? Breaking the heart of a wife you wouldn't meet for many years? If it stopped there, I could bear it. But you brought the evil into our home. Our little boys found it. Six and eight years old. I heard them laughing. I found them oogling. Fisheye photos, contorting reality, distorting the woman into exaggerated body parts. The haunted eyes. Windows of a tormented soul. Warped by the lens into the background. Because souls don't matter. Only bodies do to men who consume them. Little boys. My little boys. Laughing and oogling at the sexual torture of a man, of a woman, A woman like me. Someone like me. An image burned into their brains. Will their wives' souls have to run and hide like mine does? When does it end? I can tell you this. It has not ended in your soul. It has eaten you up. It is cancer. Do you think you can feed on a diet of hatred and come out of your locked room to love? You say the words, but love has no meaning in your mouth when hatred rules in your heart. Your cruelty has eaten up every vestige of the man I thought I was marrying. 
Did you ever dream it would so consume you that your wife and children would live in fear of your rage? That is what you have become, feeding your soul on poison. I've never used porn, but it has devastated my marriage, my family, my world. Was it worth it? Friends, lust, masturbation, pornography, adultery, they lied to you. They lie. They're sinfully dangerous, and they destroy not only yourself, but others. The lady who wrote that poem was pointing out that her husband's addiction was creating this barrier between him and her, that he couldn't express his love to her. It led to his anger and bitterness and led to her broken heart. And that's because lust affects all of us. It affects you and it affects all the relationships you have. It affects your spouse, your future spouse, your kids, your friends, your church. Friends, we need help. We all need help. Maybe at this point in the sermon you're feeling beaten down. Maybe you've sinned and you can't change the past. Maybe you sinned last night. Maybe lust has ravaged your marriage or consumed your singleness. You want help. Well, where do we go from here? Well, the only way to battle lust is with love. Let me give us three things about love to help us in our fight with lust. First thing about love, love is wise. While lust is deceitful and lies to you, love is the complete opposite. Love is wise. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 5. Get wisdom, get insight. Verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. I love that. If you want to be wise, go get wisdom. Chapter 1, verse 7 in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So to be loving is to live your life with wisdom. Simple man, fool, don't follow the lies. Go pursue wisdom. Love fears God so much that it makes decisions that honor him and not yourself. Friends, be wise. There are all kinds of things we should do to protect us from the sin of lust. You should know the ways that you personally are susceptible to lust and fantasy. When do you struggle? Is it late at night, early in the morning, when you're alone, when you're bored? When you're with your boyfriend or girlfriend in your flat. Maybe you need to stop walking by the tempting magazines in the bookstore. Or roaming around the beach by yourself. Walking around the mall with loose eyes. Reading celebrity gossip on the internet. Walking by massage parlors late at night. Maybe romance novels are messing with your heart. Your smartphone is slaying your soul. Maybe the movies you're watching are triggering lust in your heart. 
Now, I'll, I'll be honest. I'll be the first to say I can't watch certain movies. I can't watch a movie with nudity or sex scenes or scantily clad women. I just don't do it. I don't watch them. Good acting is not important enough for me to compromise my heart. You may have the ability to watch something like that and not sin, but you also may be deceiving yourself. Friend, is Netflix killing your soul? I mean that seriously. Are you alone at night in your flat or in your villa or in your room looking for something on the television or internet to satisfy your soul? Or to dream about the romance and the marriage that you've never had? I had a friend back in our college dormitory where I worked 20 years ago. I ran this dorm with about 500 university students on our campus. And one day I'm there at the front desk, kind of working the desk, where I saw one of my staff, one of the university students, carrying this big, gigantic 30-inch television. Now, back then there were no flat-screen TVs, and so this was a huge, humongous box that he was carrying in the lobby. It was so huge, he was staggering and stumbling, just trying to keep this thing off the ground. And he started walking out. We all started following him to see what he was doing. And he walked behind the dorm to the big dumpster, to the enormous rubbish bin, and he just slung that television into the bin with a big crowd gathering around him. He said that he had had enough of his sin and that he was willing to do whatever it took to cut it off. You may need to change your jobs if you're facing temptation at work. Maybe you need to move flats or villas if you're tempted there. Unplug your internet. Sit by someone different in the church gathering. Block websites and apps on your phone. Inconvenience yourself for a little while to walk with God for a long while. It's because resisting temptation doesn't just happen. D.A. Carson has famously said, no one just drifts into holiness. You don't just automatically get holy and godly. You have to work hard. No one wakes up one day and says, well, it's Thursday. I think I'm going to commit adultery today. You don't look at your diary and calendar and say, well, this week's busy. I think I'll schedule adultery for 2 p.m. next Monday. No one's ever done that. It's a steady walk. It's a thousand baby steps in the wrong direction. It's staring at people in public. It's the private thoughts you let yourself think when you're going to bed at night. It's going through the motions at church and not really walking with God, just keeping up appearances. It's the internet searches. It's the lingering on social media sites, the secret friendships, the hours in the private chat room, the pouring your heart out to someone else who isn't your spouse, the rearranging of your day so that you can run into that person on accident. By doing those things, you're putting yourself in the trajectory of destruction. Maybe there needs to be some schedule-shifting, habit-ending, rubbish-tossing activity in your life this week. Ask yourself, is there something God wants me to cut out of my life? Take some time this afternoon. Maybe you're you're reading your, your Bible and having a devotional time. Maybe you're looking over your sermon notes. Maybe you're looking through Proverbs and looking at these verse references. Just ask yourself this question today before you go to sleep. Is there something God is asking me to cut off? in my life. 
you may need to cut some things out. But you also want to go on the offensive and run to some other things. If if we're going to actually go towards holiness, you want to be proactively wise in your fight against sin. Read and meditate on scripture. Start your day by looking at God's words and recalibrating your heart to his. Fill your heart with the promises of God related to purity. Matthew 5 says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? The pure in heart will see God. It's a promise for the present and it's a promise for the future. You won't see God and die. You won't see God and be judged. You'll see God and live. Friends, attend the church service regularly and be reminded of the glories of Christ. This is why we sing the gospel and pray the gospel and read the gospel and preach the gospel. And in just a few minutes, we'll see the gospel visually displayed in the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Sit with a friend and read the Bible and pray regularly. Carve out a time every week for an hour, hour and a half, and just sit with another person. Read the Bible, pray, and share your heart. Do what Deepak talked about earlier this morning in our class. Let's see a culture of discipleship emerge from this room. Buy good books from our bookstall to fill your heart with truth. Go to the Algarer Center food court after the service on Fridays and eat and talk to each, talk to each other about your life. Ask good questions. Get in a community group that meets during the week to study scripture. Be known by other people. One of the ways we kill sin as Christians is to take it out of the darkness and to bring it out into the light. Sin hates the light. Sin thrives in the darkness. Have a local accountability partner here in the city where you share your darkest thoughts, where you share your utmost secrets. And be specific, be honest, and know that accountability won't work if you lie. Get an internet accountability software like Covenant Eyes on your computer. Your friend will get a report of what you've been looking at. They can ask you about those things. They can talk about it with you and pray for you. We talk a lot about this at Redeemer. We want to aim at Redeemer for intentionally intrusive relationships. We want to have gloriously awkward conversations to the glory and praise and honor of our God. We want to do that because we want to be more about God's fame and God's glory and God's honor than we do about saving our own face or reputation. We realize that the cross of Christ has criticized us more than anyone else can. Jesus had to die for your sin. He had to die for my sin. And so we already know that every single person in this room is guilty of heinous sin. We already know it. Friends, get it out into the open. If you're struggling, if you're addicted and you can't break it, talk to your community group leader. Talk to one of your elders. Fight the fight to the glory of God. And friend, know that this could happen to you. Maybe you're sitting here today saying, well, Dave, good thing I'm not struggling with this. Good thing that other person across the room is here to hear about it. I have a a Christian friend a man who's been engaged in ministry. He moved to another city in the UAE a number of years ago, and he was here for a few weeks before his wife and children arrived. He confessed to me that in those weeks before they arrived, he slept with a prostitute. Here in the Middle East. Friend, it could happen to you. 
It could happen to you here. It could happen to you when you least expect it. Put up guardrails in your life so that when you see the massage parlor advert on your car or you see that prostitute walking by you on the street or you look at Facebook and are tempted to covet another woman's husband or another man's wife, that your instinct will be to run. Put things in your life so that when you're tempted, you run in the other direction towards God. Prepare yourself today for the temptations of tomorrow. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence. Don't give sin an opportunity. Protect your heart. Guard your heart. Put up barriers around your heart with all vigilance. For from it flows the springs of life. Oh friend, work hard at this. Give it your strength. Give it your energy. Be wise because love is wise. Be wise in your fight against lust. Love is wise. But love is also faithful. That's the second point under love. Love is faithful. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Proverbs 18:22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 19:14. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. We could say the same thing about a woman finding a husband. No, marriage is a wonderful thing. Marriage was ordained by God. Genesis chapter 2, God made man and woman. God made husband and wife who one day will leave father and mother and become one flesh. Sex was created by God. For procreation, be fruitful and multiply. Sex is actually commanded by God to those who are married, not only for having children, but for enjoyment, for experiencing oneness, and for honoring God. Sex is good. That's why Proverbs 5, 15 through 20 is in the Bible. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Those are not my words, they're God's words. That's the Bible. That's Proverbs. That's not even Song of Solomon. That's Proverbs. This is what God has to say to us. Sex is good. And to be intoxicated means to stumble when you're drunk. This is what marriage should look like. You should be intoxicated, drunk in love with your spouse. This is one of the reasons it's important to be intimate with your spouse. Your defense against lust, if you're married, one of them is to be intoxicated by your bride or to be intoxicated by your groom. And not just on the wedding night, but for your entire marriage. In Proverbs 1 through 9, if you read it later this week, you'll notice all the passages I've mentioned and plenty more about guarding your heart against the adulteress or being aware of the dangers of lust. But right in the middle of it, right there in those verses I just read from Proverbs chapter 5, God gives us a means of defense. Friend, delight in your wife. Delight in your husband. 
Be satisfied with whom God has given you. Oh friend, God is not opposed to your joy. God is not opposed to your happiness and joy. He's opposed to lust primarily because he is for your joy. He is for your happiness. Sex was created for marriage to be the most full expression of this amazing gift. And so married couples, are you enjoying physical, emotional, and spiritual intimacy in your marriage? Are you enjoying these things regularly? If you're not in geographic proximity to your spouse, if you're not living with them, be reunited with them soon. Husbands and wives are meant to express their one fleshness and enjoy regular intimacy with one another. 1 Corinthians 7 says, Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come back together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul gives a little clause there, a little exception to being intimate with your spouse. He says, hey, you can take an extended break from intimacy with your spouse for prayer. For the means of, of pursuing God in prayer. A primary way to battle lust is to be intoxicated by your spouse with regular intimacy. And remember, your spouse has authority over your body, never in, a, in an abusive way, but in a loving way. And think of sex as not only a means of protecting yourself from temptation, but also a means of serving and protecting your spouse. So friend, don't withhold intimacy from your spouse, or you're putting them in the way of temptation by not protecting them. And just a word of pastoral warning, though. If you're in a marriage and your spouse is withholding intimacy for whatever reason, that in no way excuses your sin. That in no way gives you license to go ahead and sin. To think, well, my spouse isn't serving me and loving me in this way, so I'm going to go get it somewhere else. No, friend, that is sin. That is a lie. That is deceitful, dangerous, and damaging. And a word to the singles here. Marriage is wonderful, but not everyone is called to marriage. Some of you will remain single to the glory of God. And that's a wonderful calling too, to be singles, to follow in Paul's overflowing joy in singleness where he was wholly committed to Jesus and free to pour out his life in ministry. I mean, ultimately, while intimacy in marriage is a safeguard against lust, it's not the final answer. Friend, whether you're married or whether you're single, no one can completely fill your heart. True love is only found in God. That's the third and final point this morning. True love is found in God. Look at Proverbs 30, verses 18 through 20. Three things are too wonderful for me. Four I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a virgin. This is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done no wrong. The writer is saying, I look at the wonders of creation. An eagle in the sky, a serpent on the rock, a ship on the high seas. And the way of a man with a virgin. The word virgin means a woman preparing for marriage. 
the author is talking about the wonder and awe of intimacy. The intimacy within marriage is part of the glory of God's creation. Well, Paul takes that even further in Ephesians chapter 5. He says intimacy is seen in the beauty of creation. Sure, it's wonderful as we look at creation, but it's also seen in the beauty of redemption. Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Friends, we all need to be intoxicated by the love of Jesus. He gave himself up for us. That he might make us holy so that we would be united with him forever. We can work hard to deal with the fruit of sin, but the only way to conquer it is to get down to the root of our sin. Doing things like getting rid of smartphones or filtering our internet can be good and necessary, but we've got to get to the heart of the problem. Unless your heart is transformed by the beauty of Jesus, you'll always want more of what you're not supposed to have. Redeemer Church of Dubai, this is the only way to conquer lust. At the heart of our lust struggles is that when we lust, we are putting ourselves in the place of God. To lust is to want what you don't have and weren't meant to have. It rejects God's rule and says to God, what you've given me is not enough. Lust is always a heart issue. You're telling God, God, you don't know what will make me happy. You haven't given me enough. What you've given to me in my spouse or in my singleness is not enough to satisfy me. So I'm going to go and I'm going to take what I want. One man has said, only arrogant men and women look at pornography. It's pride. It's rebellion. It's what happened back in the garden. The usurping of the throne of God and placing yourself on it, it led to death in the garden, and it still leads to death today. We must repent of our rebellion. The Bible calls this sin and that we all deserve death and judgment for it. That on our own, all of us have done things outside of God's design in our lives. Whether it's sexual lust, whether it's coveting someone else's spouse or job or money, whether it's looking after a, a good reputation, all of us need God to save us. But the good news of Christianity is that God himself, God the creator of the universe, God your creator, God the one who sustains all things, this God himself provided a way of salvation. Jesus, God in the flesh, came to this world and he faced the same temptations that you face. But he was fully obedient to God the Father. He marched to the cross and died to provide himself a sacrifice for others. And God raised him from the dead, proving that his death and sacrifice was effective. And in that, he purchased men, women, and children from all tribes and tongues and nations to be a kingdom of priests unto him. Jesus came to die for your sin of lust. His back flayed open by whips, his hands outstretched on the cross, his side pierced, his life given to atone for your lust. 
Friends, see the kind of love which dies for you. Look to Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at this one that loves you perfectly. Look at this one who will fill your heart with joy. Look at this one who died for you. Look at this one who purchased a place for you in heaven. Look at this one who is gathering believers from all tribes to worship him in eternity forever. Look at this Jesus who didn't leave you as an orphan in the world, but has adopted you in Christ. Friend, if you're a believer in Jesus, God has loved you so much that he has brought you from death to life. If you've trusted Christ to save you, you need to know that God has paid for your sins in the past. That in the past, his sacrifice paid for your sins. No need to live in shame. No need to live in guilt or fear. Don't try to pay for your sin by guilt and shame when Jesus has already paid for it with his life. And trust the Lord to give you strength to fight lust in the future. Friend, if you're here and you're not a believer, you need to come to Jesus. If you want the strength to fight this sin, you need to come to Christ. You need to repent of your sin and trust in him to save you. And he will. And the Holy Spirit will come living within you. And you will have the strength to fight this battle. You will have the strength to live out your life and singleness and marriage in the manner that God had created you to live it. But fellow believer, are you trusting in Jesus to fight this sin? The best strategy in our battles to delight in God above all else. To soak up the goodness and greatness of God and to fight fire with fire. Fight fire with a greater fire. Fight lust with a massive promise of ultimate joy in Jesus. You can do all the accountability groups and internet filtering or any one of those things I mentioned earlier and many of them, maybe even all of them, you should do. But friend, I want to tell you ultimately, the only way to fight the sin of lust is to adore God. Period. Other religions, they, try, they tell you to try harder, to gird up your loins, to have more self-control, to suppress your desires. But friend, ultimately, the way to fight is to look outside of yourself. To Christ for the power to fight temptation. Only the power of the cross can break the power of your sin. Look to Jesus and kill the weed of lust that is threatening to take over your life. Well, as the musicians come to the front and servers head to the back, let us pray as we consider our hearts and look towards communion. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we need your help. Father, we need your help. Help us to look to Jesus for our soul's sufficiency and joy. Help us as Redeemer Church to fight fire with the greater fire, to fight these sinful desires with the greatest satisfaction that can be found in Jesus. Oh, help us. Help us to remember your love as we now consider the bread and the cup. Would the visual display of the gospel melt our hearts? Would we cherish Christ as the most satisfying treasure in the world? In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.